Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all alone in, or all one in Christ Jesus. And the second reading comes from James chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. We're back on our freedom series. Freedom is a theme that I believe God laid in my heart through prayer last year uh, that we would weave in and out of our calendar this year. So we're going to spend three months looking at uh, freedom themes. We've already spent one month already and we're commencing a second month now. Uh, Tonight's freedom focus is going to be freedom from prejudice. Uh, Freedom from prejudice. As I was thinking about what we might do to open this thinking on what it meant to be truly free and prejudice, uh, it occurred to me that there's probably one of the greatest speeches ever given, obviously not by me, by one of the greatest speakers ever given, and I'm going to share that with you now. It's a famous segment of a speech called uh, I Have a Dream. Very different to Tom's, of course, as you could well imagine. The Tom's will be forgotten in the annals of times very quickly. Uh, This particular dream speech given by the great um, preacher, in fact, and political activist Martin Luther King Jr., um, you'll understand it, you'll have heard this before. It's powerful, it's moving, it's all about we need to be free from prejudice. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Justice 
sweltering with the heat of oppression, be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. My four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream. Come true. And so let freedom ring from the prodigious hilltops of New Hampshire. Let freedom ring from the mighty mountains of New York. Let freedom ring from the heightening Alleghenies of Pennsylvania. Let freedom ring from the snow capped Rockies of Colorado. Let freedom ring from the curvaceous slopes of California. But not only that, let freedom ring from Stone Mountain of Georgia. Let freedom ring from Lookout Mountain of Tennessee. Let freedom ring from every hill and mole hill of Mississippi. From every mountainside. We will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Wow. 
wow, that is just, that was literally a landmark time in the history of the world which we know. And when it happens, he said, and when we allow freedom to ring, when it, we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we'll be able to speed up the day when all God's children, black men, white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. I just wonder if we live in a world that's free at last. I wonder if we live in a nation that's free at last, free from prejudice. I wonder for us as a church, are we free from prejudice? I wonder for myself, am I free from prejudice? I ask you the question, are you in your own life free from prejudice? Heavenly Father, as we look honestly at these questions and search our hearts and souls and scan our nation... We ask, dear God, that we would have the courage to be truthful and that you would illuminate our thinking and our hearts in the secret places by the truth of your word and by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Of course, the great truth in Jesus is when we understand who we are in Christ, we can be free at last. Well, what does prejudice mean? Well, prejudice comes from an old Latin word called prejudicium. Prejudicium. And it simply means this. It's an unfavorable opinion or a feeling formed beforehand. An opinion or a feeling formed beforehand without knowledge, thought or reason. And so it's when we encounter other people and we've already prejudged them. We've taken a look at them. We've assessed where they're at in life. We've made a judgment without knowing the person. And so I loved when Martin Luther King Jr. said uh, people would be judged by the content of the character and not by the colour of their skin. Well, the Bible is really clear, friends, about what it, about prejudice, about favouritism. And we'll move on to there. If you can look that up on your device or if you've got it handed to you when you came in the door, if you can look up the James chapter 2. It's very important that you open that up in something or other. Do we hand those things out at the front? Do we get those? Flick it open. If you like the phone to the person next door to yours, swap. If they've got a bigger screen, look at their big giant Samsung thing or their iPhone 6S or whatever it is, the big thing. All right. Okay, we're going to look at a couple of verses here. Uh, Verse 1 and verse 9, then back to verse 4. Let's just see how clearly the scripture is about this idea of prejudice. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. And then we have the story about a person coming into a meeting, a church meeting, wearing fine clothes and being treated with the royal red carpet and somebody else coming in rather poor and being treated uh, with less attention, being told to stand over there or sit over there. Then we come to verse 9 and as a conclusion of this it says, "If But if you show favoritism... What's the next couple of words? What does it say? If you show favoritism, you what? Sin. Sin. 
Make no mistake about it, in the eyes of God, when we show favoritism and prejudice towards other people, it is sin. It is sin to show favoritism and prejudice towards another person. If we do that, it's sin. And go back to verse 4 now. And they've just given this illustration. James has just written this illustration about the poor man and the rich men coming in, being treated differently, favoritism, prejudice. And then verse 4 says, Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves? The Bible is against discrimination of other people based on what they look like. Become amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. So I ask us again, in our own hearts when we search them, are there elements of prejudice? Are there elements of judgment? Are there elements of favoritism? It's interesting. He talks about, suppose a rich man comes into your meeting wearing fine, a fine ring and fine clothes and a poor person comes in. You know, that's a fairly obvious one. But I wonder if through that door, different people came with different stories. Somebody comes through our door who's same-sex attracted. Somebody comes through our door looking very different. On social media today, I don't know how it turned up on my feed, but there was this um, feed about this woman. She's a minister in the Episcopalian Church in America. And uh, she's fully inked. Okay, she's got the full, she's got the full sleeves happening. She's got a hair that goes up like a Christmas tree. Um, she wears a belt, looks like it comes out in an Avengers movie. It's bright. She wears the stovepipe black pants and the Doc Martin boots. And she wears a tank top cut off to here and she's got that. And she wears a white collar because she's a priest in the, in the church. I'm just wondering how she would go in your average church if she walked in and applied for a job. I might put a link on the uh, Facebook thing tonight. We're going to put a link, I'm going to tell you about that at the end, a different link about that. But she would, she no doubt gets judged. I wonder if people came through that door with all kinds of stories, divorced people, people with mental illness, people suffering depression, people with post-traumatic stress disorder and all the manifold issues that that brings people with borderline personality disorder is anybody who walks through that door welcome in the name of jesus because god loves them as much as he loves you doesn't matter what walks through that door if we show prejudice if we show favoritism we absolutely sin in the eyes of god it doesn't matter what color they are i love the fact that our church is a thriving all-age cross-cultural church i love the fact that we are made up of a number of the nations of the world i love that it's something obviously that shelly and i have had to come to terms with our our daughter when she our eldest daughter rebecca when she got married she married a french guy that wasn't a very hard stretch and of course then eliza uh, had a partner who was Puerto Rican, and so we have our beautiful uh, grandson, who we call is Rican. So he's half Australian, half Puerto Rican. So we have that. And, of course, then Eliza marries an Iranian refugee, so we've got that happening. And my son tells me he's now engaged to a Brazilian woman. I tell you what, if we ever had a family meeting, you'd need visas and passports just to get in. It's absolutely like a League of Nations thing happening there. And so we've had to come to terms with what it means to be broad and inclusive in our own personal circle. We need to be like that as a church. We need to welcome everybody who walks through that door because God loves them. He made them. 
and he wants us to love them and we need to embrace people with the embrace of Jesus. And we mustn't prejudge anyone, but we must get next to each other in our brokenness. We're all broken. Some of us just don't look like it. I'm broken. I'm very broken. I might not just always look like it. You're broken. We need to get next to each other in our brokenness and we need to love one another. And so this passage talks about being influenced by appearance, paying special attention to people. Paying special attention to people that come into church because they look a certain way or have a certain gift mix or whatever it may be. Well, we become discriminatory judges with evil thoughts. We are not seeing how God sees people. But how does God see people? This is how God sees people. God is selecting a new king. King Saul was the first king of Israel. They were just like basically a confederation of tribes until then. But they wanted a king, so God acquiesced in and said, well, if you have a king, it's always not going to be that good, but I'll let you have a king. So they got a, they got a king, King Saul, and he uh, fell off the wagon of righteousness, ended up needing to be replaced. And Samuel is the prophet who has to, at God's direction, go and, at God's direction, find the new king, anoint the new king, and appoint the new king into the role of king of Israel because Saul had been rejected by the Lord. Now, Saul was a mighty unit of a man. He would have played at least second row for one of the great teams. He was a giant like these great Polynesian football players. He was a total unit. So the Bible says that Saul, when he was in a, a, a group of people, he was a full head taller than anybody else in the space. So everybody else's head came up to underneath King Saul's chin. He was a giant figure of a man. And so Samuel's got this idea, wow, we've got to find this, you know, this, this, this situation. So he goes to, he's told to go to a particular tribe in Israel and then he's told to go to the house of Jesse, which is my son's name, told to go to the house of Jesse. And this is what happened. When he arrived and there was, there were eight sons that he would meet in Jesse's house. So he arrives and he immediately sees Eliab and thought, surely, this is the Lord's anointed who stands here before him. So this obviously incredibly impressive individual in Jesse's son line of sons called Eliab. But this is not what happened. This is where the next verse picks up. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. Note this friends, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord does not look at things that people look at. We need to remember that because we look wrongly. We need to start looking with the eyes of God at the deeper things. Anyway, there's this parade of sons that walk through. And in fact, there are seven. A man called Shammah comes through. Another man called Abinadab. He walks through the place. And in the end, seven of his sons passed before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, um, the Lord has chosen none of these. Then he asked Jesse, uh, are these all the sons you have? He says, oh, this, well, this. They're still the youngest, kind of the runt of the litter. They're still the youngest. Now, um, he's out tending the sheep. 
Well, they went and get him. It's David, soon to be the greatest king in the whole of the Bible over Israel, the runt of the litter, the youngest child out there, minding sheep, doesn't even get a look in on the great parade. So Samuel, and then the Lord said, rise up and anoint him. So Samuel took the horn of oil, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, uh, being poured upon somebody to do great things and he anointed him or poured the oil on him in the presence of his brothers and from that day on the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David and Samuel then went to Ramah and so what happened here is we the Lord was looking for something different he was looking at something deep friends how many times we see the great Abinadab in the room or one of the great other people and we pay attention to that but that's not what the Lord is looking for because the Lord does not look at a person's appearance He looks at a person's heart and we need to start looking way, way deeper than the sort of superficial things that we judge people by. Hello? Yes? Great. All right. Scary, am I? Give it fired up. All right. Let's go on to the next thing. I thought about the idea of how how do, do I see prejudice around me? So I decided there were that many illustrations of prejudice that I decided to confine myself to just one letter of the alphabet because there were that, just endless. So, and I've not even exhausted it. I've chosen the letter C and some of the forms of prejudice. I'm just wondering in this room, how many people feel that they have received a prejudicial treatment from another person? Can you just put your hand up? Straight up. It can be about anything. Okay. It's not just racial thing. It can be about your weight or your appearance or something like that. Here's just some of the ways that we, how I see sin in the world through prejudice. Of course, people, uh, and that's what the great speech was from Martin Luther King Jr. was about colour. It's interesting that on Wednesday of this week, uh, Roseanne Barr, who is a comedian of a bit of yesteryears, had a relaunch of her career. And she's got a whole new series of things happening on television. Well, she got on Twitter. That's always a scary space. She got on Twitter and made a racial slur. And on Wednesday, bang, the network has cancelled any further production of the show. So just with that, she got on, she made a racial tirade and made a racial slur about an Afro-American and bang, her thing is gone. We see that around us all the time. It's interesting that, uh, you know, we judge people by colour, we judge people by class. Um, This may surprise you, but I was at a ukulele festival once and it was not necessarily, it wasn't here, it was in a nice warm tropical place. And I'm not sure where that might have been. And uh, I was at this festival. It was, a, it was an outdoor festival. And it, these great players and there were stands. And it was free. It was a free event. And even the transport out there was free. It had been organised by the Japanese community in, in Hawaii, which is a very large community. And as we were there, there were a whole lot of tents just put around for people's comfort. And what happened was it started to rain. I'd noticed that in the group of people that were standing there, there was a young um, Afro-American woman. She would have been, I would have thought about 19 perhaps. And she was homeless. And she was clearly homeless. Uh, Her clothes, you could see, were really dirty. There were holes in them. 
she looked like she had a lovely little spirit, but she was clearly homeless. Anyway, as it started to rain and there were these tents and, and umbrellas set up, uh, she moved into one of these umbrellas and the people around her moved away from her as if oil had been poured on water. Well, the Holy Spirit just said to me, go and stand next to her. Show her the love of Jesus. Show her that somebody cares that she's not going to judge her by being homeless and by judging her by her obviously uh, almost rag-like clothing that she was standing in there. So I just went and, and stood next to her and she was a bit surprised at that because no one would stood next to her all afternoon. So I went and stood next to her and I just started talking to her. Guess what? I started to talking to her just like she was a human being. Like, wow, hello, she was just a human being, a valuable person for whom Jesus died. Jesus was looking down. She was no less valuable than anyone else standing in that space today, either on the platform or on the floor. She was as precious as any other human being. So I decided to show her that she was precious just by standing with her. And I was talking with her and I could clearly see she'd had a bit of a story. She wouldn't go into details, but she'd had some sort of trauma back on the mainland that had forced her to go to Hawaii. And a lot of homeless people, will go to Hawaii because the temperature is always between 22 and 30 degrees. You can sleep rough and not die of the freezing cold weather. So there she was. She'd run away. I didn't press her for the details. I just talked to her. We talked about all kinds of things. Family, my family mainly because she was a bit guarded about her background. We talked about our love of music. And at the end of the time, the show was over and uh, without her knowing, I'd reached into my wallet and pulled out money. I think I pulled out all the notes that I had. And as I shook her hand to say goodbye, I pressed money into her hand. And she and I knew that that was an acknowledgement that things were tough in her life. But I wanted her to know that she was loved and cared for. So as we shook hands, I left a blessing in her hand. And I just wanted to demonstrate that. You see, we judge people. We judge people because of their class. We make assumptions about people. No one else was talking to her that day. I just thought it'd be better. Let's get next to people. Why don't we just bless people? Good idea? Hallelujah. And the country from which they come. Wow. We know all about that as a nation. Uh, By the way, Australia is far from squeaky clean if you want to read our history. Our history is shameful and abysmal when it comes to prejudicial activities. There was a thing back in the day called the White Australia Policy. Shame on our country. Shame on you. And culture, a clash of cultures, caste, even in certain countries, they have different classes and castes of people. And creed, we've got to love people that even believe differently to us. We've got to love people who have got a different paradigm of faith, who don't think what we think, who don't believe what we believe, but they still need to be loved in Jesus' name. Uh, The woman at the reception at the gym that I go to uh, a long time ago, a lovely lady at the gym, she was a Muslim and clearly she wore everything. Her face was, you could see her face, but everything else was covered. And I got up there one morning and she was absolutely, had been howling and weeping and she was a shattered mess. And I said, uh, what's going on here? And somebody, a customer in the gym who then got a lifetime ban, 
had gone up and absolutely got in her cage and racially and culturally vilified her for being a Muslim woman and she was told to go back to wherever she came from. Someone got right in her face and absolutely did their best to destroy her that day. And she was absolutely shattered. So I checked with the manager. I get a bit, I get a bit defensive of broken people. I'm, the, I'm that, you know, I'm the nice dog until it gets mean and then I'm out. I'm off the leash. So I was off the leash that day, I can tell you. So I got a hold of the manager and I said, what's going to be done about this? They said, we're going to check the tapes. And I said, this is good. What care is this woman receiving today? What's happening here in this place? You couldn't imagine me doing something like that, could you? Um, anyway, I had the protector on and I was out. I was out. I was off the, I was off the leash that day. And so I got home. I, I got to work that day. I said to one of the secretaries, I think Kathy was working that day. I said, get the biggest bunch of flowers you can. Get the florist on the line. Get, and dictate. I wrote out a note. So this goes on the card. Dictate this over the phone. We as a church are going to send this Muslim a giant, filthy, lavish, extravagantly huge bunch of flowers and we're going to have it delivered by courier uh, from and in the name of the Epping Church of Christ and that's exactly what we did. I took your money and spent it like that on a woman like that and bless you. Happy with me spending money like that? She was blessed that day and later on I thought, well, that's not enough. I want to know if it got there. I want to know if it had done something in her life. So I went back to the gym at lunchtime because I knew that her shift ended early afternoon because it was a 6 a.m. shift till about 2 o'clock. So I went up at lunchtime and I saw her that day and I just say, I just want to make sure that you got your flowers and everything like that. She was absolutely over the moon that a Christian church had shown her love and shown her value and, and defended her in the name of what we believe and affirmed her as a positive human being hallelujah isn't that the way that we should all behave even if people believe differently to us we need to love them in jesus name and the next day that i went into the gym she was there she was in much brighter countenance and she said she went home and told all her family and everybody how wonderful we were as a church not that that was the object of the exercise but when you when you break the perfume bottle and spread it around the aroma goes everywhere that's the kind of church I want us to be named for. That's the kind of community that I want to be uh, as the pastor of this church. And people with different creeds still need to be loved in Jesus' name and different careers. And I love the that show on television where it says Undercover Boss and the CEO goes there and he finds out what it's really like on the shop floor and how... The shop floor people, you've seen that show? They dress up like they might own a factory, then they dress up like a factory worker. I don't know how people not know them because they've got the fakest moustache and the powder in the hair. It so doesn't look real. And uh, they go to these places and they pretend they're just lower on the low working line and they just check the culture of the place. And they look for the person who's just on the shop floor that's doing a great job and they bring them into their office and they reward them for a job well done. You know, I believe that wherever we are, we should be treating everybody with the with a, uh, great respect and we should not be saying, oh, well, that's a doctor or that's a career person. Anybody who does anything is just as valuable. This is where the essence of all this comes from. Where does our equality come from? It comes from this passage here and the knowledge of who we are in Jesus. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28. It says... Uh, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. That's the basis here. 
This is the basis of why we show no favoritism and show no partiality and show no prejudice. Because so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For you are all baptized into Christ and have clothed yourselves with Christ. So we're all equal. Everybody is just a child of God through faith in Jesus. And therefore, says, revolutionary words, revolutionary for our society and unbelievably unbelievably revolutionary for the New Testament times. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. See, when God looks down, he only sees people that he loves. Jew and Gentile, slave or free, male or female, all equal in the sight of God. And the reason for our equality is because we're all children of God through faith. And we've been baptized into faith. That changes our thinking that passage i can tell you should change societies people talk about oh the church has not done this and not done that and you know, the church has let the, the ball down and all that kind of stuff and that's very true but that passage there in the bible that's enough to change any society any world or any church if we only behave like that and of course it all comes back to the fact that in james chapter 2 What does it all boil down to? James just said, look, it's the royal law. If you really, verse 8, if you really keep the royal law, that's what the words of Jesus have now been called by the time James writes his letter. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. If we love our neighbors as ourselves, that is exactly what's called for. Reflected in the American document, the Declaration of Independence, where they became their own nation separate from the UK. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men, I wrote the word people, are created equal. They are endowed with, by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And so what a, that's, a, that's a great phrase. And so in summary, this is what we've got. In God's sight, All people are created equally. All people are loved equally. All people equally bear the image of God. And all people are redeemed equally when they believe in Jesus. If we truly believe this, if we truly believe this and we obey the royal law of love our neighbor as we love ourselves, we will be free. We will be free. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. Let's be people that are free like that. Let's go out and shine and show the unconditional, non-prejudicial love of God to other people. Amen. All right. Band, what are we singing? What's happening? Tommy, what are we doing? Tom does the...